we're back with Rich for part three. Um, we are going to start, uh, we're going to pick up with Virginia, what happened when he went to Virginia program, and then we'll talk more about the altar and sure. an injury. So go ahead, Rich. Well, after being thrust into the Virginia group thing, Pete, um, I didn't want to go. You know, I didn't want to go to Virginia. I wanted to stay there. I was home, you know. Um, and I remember putting in chains of command to, you know, ask to stay here, you know, not be moved. I didn't want to go. And I used to write them a lot. You know, I wrote them several times and um, they would just disappear. Like I'd get no reply. I wouldn't be confronted in group. None of the staff would mention it to me. It just was like, you never said it. So they were like ignoring my rights as a, as an adult to manage where my body's going to be, which is my God given right. Even if you're 18 or 15, um, and it, it became a game after a while. And at the end, I'd call fifth phaser over as soon as I would start to mention about not wanting to go to Virginia. Yeah, they'd be writing on the piece of, you know, they had these little notepads, like a reporter review. So a small little notepad for school. And that's what they wrote chain of commands on. And it got to the point where the fist phaser handed it back to me, told me to eat it. And I ate it. That's messed up. And that was akin to hearing Gail cell door slam shut repeatedly. And I, you know, I ate a couple of them because I didn't, I didn't want to give up. And finally I gave her over to despair. I am, I am taken against my will. I don't want to do this. I'm an adult. I, I didn't forget I was an adult this entire time. Trust me, it was ringing in my head. This is fuck crazy. You're an adult. And that just sort of slammed it home. It, I have no rights. Straight has absolute total control to me. And through the fact of my despair, I gave up complete. I just gave up. I gave up trying. I gave over to despair. I sold myself out or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I had to, there was no, it was either that I keep writing chains of command and having the same result that I knew right then, no matter what I did, I'm going to fucking Virginia, whether I liked it or not. It was so bizarre when they got us to go to Virginia, how they transported us was crazy. Uh-huh. What they had, well, they had buses they hired and they, we all got, you know, I guess some parent may have worked for a bus company and they supplied these buses. They're school buses, school buses, and Ellis County school buses. And uh, they let us in there. We were all sat down and we were transported from St. Petersburg to Tampa um, to get on an airplane. And um, I've been on airplanes a bunch of times, haven't been rolled back and forth across the country like a rotten piece of fruit. So, you know, I was expecting, oh, man, this is going to be weird when we walk as they walk us through the fucking terminal, you know, 150 kids being belt looped. Oh, my God. Would, <laughs> right? I can't, like, like, in my mind, I'm, I can't wait to see this shit happen. This is going to be weird. Now I'm going to, you know, on top of it, I felt really uncomfortable. Like, man, I don't want people to see me like this. It was embarrassing. Like, is that guy fingering you? I mean, that's where your thoughts go when you're really young. You're, What's this hand really doing there, pal? You know, kind of thing. And I was like, this is going to be weird. 
And then we went right, right past the regular terminals and anyone would get on a flight and go to New York or Washington, D.C. for that matter. And they took us to another part of the airport that looked like it was the freight part of the airport. Oh, my God. Okay. And there was this plane. It was like, I don't even remember the name. I, I, I know the name of the airlines. It was, I was like, it reminded me of getting on a plane that you'd see the Beverly Hills hillbillies on, you know, this rickety old plane, you know what I mean? And, and it, yeah, it was like, you could tell the seats had been just newly installed. And they weren't new seats, but you could tell this is a cargo plane. Oh my God. Huh. And they on the plane and um, they had stewardesses in there and they gave us snacks and a drink. Um, and we were told, we were warned before we even left great you better not act out on that plane you know you better just eyes forward don't talk to each other da 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 and um we got on the plane we sit down they close the door the stewardess does the whole life you know the seat belt you know airplane thing what every stewardess says in in a flight and then all of a sudden junior staff goes let's have a song on the plane? Oh, we sang a plane, man. Yeah, that was a long three-hour flight. They couldn't let us look out the window. We might think about us escaping. Who knows? You know? Oh, my God. I wonder what the stewardesses thought. You know what I mean? And where I was seated, I was in kind of toward the rear of the plane where the stewardess's area is. And um, busting into a song, everyone's pale white just coming from the sunny shores of florida white as a piece of paper malnourished darkened eyes you know how you know the look i'm talking yep. about mm -hmm. and there's these two stewardesses and they're probably moms they're 35 40 years old whatever and we're singing songs the hand motions all this other stuff they decided to do a little group on the plane what and yeah oh you know God. Like, yeah it's fucked up i mean these are the things that are in plane flight I was kind of mortified and I was kind of, I was laughing in a way because I was trying to gauge the students' reactions and they were pretty like, you ever see a dog when it's really scared, their eyes get like, you can yeah. see the whites of their, yeah. their eyes, are, the rest of their face was uh, basically blunted. You know, no reaction other than their eyes are like, I can't, I knew what they were thinking. I can't fucking believe, what the fuck is this? Uh -huh. This thing. And um, I remember when they were preparing to give out drinks, like, I don't, we got, you know what we got? We got little cans of orange juice from the Bluebird Orange Juice Factory, which was in Dunedin, Florida, like two minutes from where I live. Uh -huh. I'll never sitting on that plane. It was like the final kick in the teeth. Say your goodbye to fucking Dunedin and drink this fucking orange juice, um, which was not very good, if you ask me. Um, but I do remember one waitress saying to the other, what is wrong with these children? Wow. I don't, I don't know if anyone else heard it. Maybe they did. And um, that was really surreal. And then we landed in Dallas Airport. And there was another set of buses that took us into the brand new straight building in Springfield. And I, and I got to say, to my own credit, I was the second person to ever share in that building. So not the first, the second. <laughs> I was, some other sucker got in there before me, but they picked on me. 
So I got into Virginia. Um, what was the question? I'm sorry. I'm um, was it up a- comparing it to St. Pete? Was it better? Was it worse? I mean, what was it like in that brand new building? Well, let's just put it this way. It is relative. I don't care what street you were in. It was fucking horrifying. It was awful. Demoralizing. Evil. Repetitive abuse. So it was really just the same old, same old, just different building. Yeah. And I'll explain what I mean by kind of. Okay, you got to remember, this is what was going on in the real world back then. The just say no crack hit the streets. Massive fucking problem. It became a national issue. The just say no thing just came into play. And we were opening up straight, not we, straight was opening a building in the greater Washington, D.C. area. They have, straight has incredibly strong ties to one of the, to one of the uh, parties of our government. And um, we were the example. Like we were going, we were the biggest dog and pony show that they could provide for people who may assist and or protect them. Right. From criminal prosecution, from investigations, whatever. They were, they wanted to raise the country. So what I can tell you is St. Petersburg was incredibly difficult. It was a penal colony for children and a torture room for children. Mm-hmm. It was very intense. Relentlessly. Once we got into it was like everything that went on in St. Pete got concentrated in Virginia. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, the, the adults there, the people who were the program directors, they were way more busy in going to the Lions Club to get donations, uh, going to meet with this individual or whatever. They're in Washington, D.C. now. They weren't thinking about the care of the children. They were thinking about how to propagate straight and okay. how to do this dog and pony PR fucking shit. And really, it was Lords of the Animal Farm. At that point in time, it was the children controlling the children without any adult supervision or accountability whatsoever. It immediately turned into St. Pete to the 20th power. It became very concentrated. The group was incredibly, it was small. It's the smallest group that I've ever been in. It was, you know, it was very small, you know. 100 people or something, you know? And it really became like two cats in a bag. And they and we fought each other, tooth and nail. And the confrontations, it wasn't really about sharing. Every group was, every group was confrontation. Every single one. Um, it was a pressure cooker of disaster. And it became inhumanly cruel very, very, very quickly. Um, I was in, I, uh, finally, you know, I was in, in there, uh, up in Virginia for a couple months and then they opened the group up a little bit where they started moving, you started to get taught responsibility and they needed more old comers because the PR machine was working. All these parents had heard about the straight place that got some endorsement from 
a, a, a person in the government of great respect and standing during that time period. Um, and it started to fill up. And you got to remember, like, not trying to add anybody, but we were in there with kids who were like senators' kids and ambassador kids and things like that. Um, so it was a lot of pressure put on us. And um, I never really was able to make it on to second phase. Um, and that's when things really began to change again. I began to, you know, it was great to get off the first phase. I could um, they could, I could see her, she could visit, relief. Um, I was able to walk, I was able to go to the bathroom by myself, which was like this awe-inspiring moment, peeing in the bathroom without someone looking at me. Right. Or specifically looking at my genitalia while I'm doing it, because that's what you had to do. God, you know, whatever. And I got on second phase. And there was times before I got on second phase, I had talking responsibilities and they didn't have enough old comers to really move the amount of new newcomers plus the guys from Florida around effectively. So I was given talking responsibilities and responsibilities for the most part, for people who were not straight, basically you're able to stand up and walk around and you can belt loop another newcomer because you weren't allowed to walk freely in group without being belt looped. And you could walk into the bathroom you could walk into the food line and, you know, shit. I was, I started to be abusive then. You know what I mean? Uh, I'd grab someone by the seat of their pants and I'd give them a wedge. Like I would lift some kid up on his tippy toes. You know, if, if I didn't particularly care for the guy, he was a little shithead. Sorry. No, you know, okay. I would go to the bathroom and like slam him into, the, you know, just push him into the fucking urinal. Mm-hmm. You know, you take it a little bam. And the guys already have problems peeing in front of somebody. And then that's it. You're done. The guy's like, whoop, 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 fuck you. Right back to group. Go sit and hold your pee for another four fucking hours until we get another bathroom break. Um, you know, going to take someone for water at the water fountain. You each get two seconds. And, like, they're there trying to get water, and you just move them a little. And your face gets against the water fountain. You can hear the cleat. I can hear it. And I, I, I'm not proud of this. I, I can hear it. He's hitting the little water spigot thing from doing that. There were so many little ways to abuse each other. Oh, countless. I mean, nitpicking someone, you know, just everything they did was wrong. They weren't sitting up straight enough. They didn't have their hands on their knees. They weren't looking at somebody. You could just, you could distract yourself doing that shit all day to people around you. Did you um, actually go to the point where you knew by confronting or being a straight enforcer that that would take the pressure off of you and made you look good? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, basically, I, like I said earlier, if I stand on your neck to get the fuck out of there, that's exactly what I did. And that's what I was doing then. Um, yes, there. it, it was... Once I made it on the second phase, I sent home, sent to another host home. And this other host home was notoriously known, at, even at that point, mm-hmm. the, the beginnings of Springfield. It was known as, that's the house you never want to be sent to as a newcomer. Because it was really tactorian, very, very rule-oriented, even at home. 
and the old comer was a kid like me, he was a big, strong kid, and he was a tough son of a gun. Yeah, he really was. He was he was a tough guy, um, football player, a fucking amazing athlete. I come to find out, but also super aggressive, super hands on. I'm not talking like being more involved. I'm talking literally hands on, like pushing people around. Um, there was this thing that I learned in group, and we used to call it the two finger therapy. You would take your index finger and your middle finger and put them together. And you'd be confronting someone, and there's a spot that exists between the, where your shoulder is and just above where your breast is. And there's a very tender area there. There's a tendon there. And if you take your hands, it's not punching someone, but it sure feels like it. You could do it in group and not get confronted. And you make a point. You, pow, are such a piece of shit, pow. And each time you do it harder and harder, and harder, and harder, to where their whole top of their body's twitching backward from the force you're applying to that one tendon. If someone keeps doing that to you, that tendon becomes absolutely inflamed, and it hurts to put a shirt on it, you know what I mean? It's so painful. So I was sent to this particular home I think because of my size, my aggressiveness in group, and my willingness to do whatever the fuck they told me to do. With no complaint, no hesitation. That altar was in complete control. Complete control of what I was doing, what I was thinking, and how I was acting. Um, did you keep kids up all night? Yes. That happened. That Yes. How did there that were, work? Yeah, um, basically, it's a rotating shift of old comers. You couldn't do it if you were one on one. You couldn't do something like that if you were an old comer and a newcomer, like because you'd fall asleep. Everyone's exhausted, and it was really hard to do even as an old comer because you would confront someone for like two hours and take a forty-five minute nap while the, or, or, or an hour nap while the other guy confronted him and kept him awake, which would include like swinging them around, pushing them down, making them stand up, run in place, do calisthenics, um, all in their underwear. It just, it was humiliation to the nth degree and nitpick everything about them from penis size to eye color. You name it. Everything was open. You could do whatever the fuck you wanted. This is all at the direction of staff. All at the direction of other children not adults other children and i gotta tell you and everyone who's listening those children were taught by the adults to do this we didn't think of this shit who the fuck thinks of that when you're 14 years old okay right. adolf it okay i could give him a pass yeah but a normal typical 14 year old is playing literally don't think about ways in which you can hurt people right severely hurt them, not just as an act of retribution because they were at Smarty Pants team in school, but as a way of life and as a lifestyle. That was so, your job. Your job was to torture other children. Yes, without a doubt. That was a moniker that I got. It just, it, it, it came as a result of being sent to that home and being instructed by this other child how to deal with people who are being difficult. 
And what I mean by difficult, like you could have misbehaviors, and for people who are hurt in the street, misbehaviors could mean a whole lot of things. I mean, someone gets up and punches someone in the face, someone who like does fucked up things in groups, stands up in groups, says something rude, and they get that's misbehaving. The other kind of misbehavior was people who were passive aggressive, like you know, conscientious objectors, like Amish people during World War II or Vietnam War. They just wouldn't comply. They wouldn't sit up in their seat. They wouldn't motivate. Nothing was working. So they'd send people like that to us, as well as people who were very violent. And the whole idea is you are the alpha dog, so you must always have dominance, no matter what. No matter what they do, what they think, what they say, how they react, how they don't react. You had to be the absolute perfect example of what straightling was, because I'll tell you what, your newcomers are looking for one chink in your armor. They can write a chain of command on you and see you getting flambéed which did happen to me one time. I fell asleep on my newcomer. I couldn't, it was one of the, it was a Saturday morning from being at a vicious Friday night open meeting group. We didn't get out of there four in the morning. We got home, showered, ate, laid, pretend to sleep for 45 minutes, got up, back in the car, and I got confronted with, like, the things that I had, that I, the things I was directed to do were, were awful. Uh, I learned how to dislocate people's shoulders and straight. And there's a way of doing it. And it is incredibly painful. I have made teenagers howl in pain. And, and, and the amazing part with this altar, I never really internalized at that moment what I was doing. It's more like I felt like Someone else was in control of my body. So I felt like I was looking out through my eyes, but I was not. I was not the one making decisions anymore. It was this alternate, this altar that I keep referring to. Yep. And not a way of letting me off the hook. So I was like, well, I turned into the. I turned into another personality and was really violent. No, no, no. It's not to let me off the hook. I feel. I to this day, I have great disdain for my actions then, and I don't like what I did. I don't take. I have zero pride talking about this stuff. There's no glee in my voice. There's horror. I mean, there's ways of restraining people where you grab their arm in such a way and you can just grab their wrist and just start twisting it, twisting it, twisting it, twisting it, twisting it, twisting it, until you heard their elbow pop. I didn't break their elbow, but I... You know, every bone in your body can be cracked, right? I, you know, everyone knows that. You don't want someone like me doing that to you, ever. It was cruel, very physical, and it hurt badly, awfully. You, you said that um, misbehaviors were sent to you. Do you ever mm -hmm. think that any of those kids that weren't complying was because of mental illness, and do you think those kids were singled out for abuse because of their mental illness? Oh, without a doubt. Um, 100%. Like, just to give you a little foreshadowing, right? Um, after I could just, to, so I could explain this adequately. Yeah, go ahead. After I got out of straight, I went to college and I got my degree, and my job was to diagnose people, and I, I was very, very good at it. And, um, I can say without a doubt, I could name names. There's several that pop right to the top of my head. And I wrote their first, last name, where they live, and everything. These people had obvious, obvious 
serious mental problems, serious. Um, schizophrenia comes to mind. Um, extreme, like bipolar two, which is that extreme version of bipolar. Um, depression, depression. I've seen kids go in there who were not depressed and within weeks had major depression. And depression is anger turned inward. I, I, I really, it's self-degradation. And they were without a doubt signaled out. And again, you gotta remember, even though they were stacked, or I keep saying stacked like they're this evil entity, stacked was another phase of straight. They, last thing they wanted to do is be day one, front row seat one, right. two. They had their own fears. Um, and they, in their infant wisdom or ignorance, they didn't know what about mental Who the fuck is 16 years old can recognize? Well, that person's got X, Y, and Z. That's what you're supposed to do when you go put someone in rehab. You diagnose them. We're all diagnosis fuck-ups. Junkie fuck-ups. That was our diagnosis. Come with defensive disorder. They disregarded any of that stuff. Um, so, yes, without a doubt, people with mental disorders were were bagged by the group, like I, like I explained before. They wore that. They, they couldn't get out of that. And it became this endless cycle of abuse for them. Some of them never made it off of first phase. Some of them, one day you'd show up and they'd be gone in group. Of course, no one would tell you because they'd be talking behind backs. backs, right. Some children probably went off to psychiatric hospital, which I think, I don't know. I think people develop mental health problems as a result of straight. Absolutely. Were, and they got in there and that place tore them to shreds and destroyed their persona. Um, no, the thing that straight never took into account is children aren't wired to talk about how they feel. So, you know, when parents say, oh, he's acting out, what he's doing, that, that's a very accurate statement. He's acting out how he's feeling. Yeah. He doesn't have words. He probably could say the words, but without the emotions behind them, they're just parroting. You know what I mean? Right. Unable to talk about their feelings, which was, again, another huge setup. For anyone going in there, who the fuck is 14 years old and adequately can explain what the fuck's going on in their head in any kind of logical sense to anybody, including themselves? And those so with the, mental illnesses have an even harder time doing that. Oh, my God. They have an enormous, first of all, they have enormous problems in just digesting what's going on around them. You told me about a girl. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but... This is a good yeah. illustration of exactly what you're saying about the girl that carved in her face with a thumbtack. Oh. Tell us about that and how the group treated her. Oh, man. I, I forgot. Well, I didn't forget about it, but thank you for bringing it up. That was awful. Every week we'd have an executive wrap, and it was in a different room, and it was they used to call it the carpet room. And everyone would sit there with their legs crossed, blah, blah, blah. And this girl who was in there found a thumbtack on the floor, which is a common thing to find in a, like an office kind of thing, a thumbtack or a paperclip. It's pretty common. She found the thumbtack and hid it away. Went back to her host home at that time, not host home, foster home at that time. And she took that thumbtack and literally ribboned her face with it. I mean, the cuts were so close together, she may have been, it, 
she may have she may have, it looked like she took a steak knife to herself in some respects in some portions of her face like not one part of her face wasn't covered in some kind of thing they walked that girl into group they did not allow her to wash her face she walked in a bloody fucking pulp and the, the group erupted and it wasn't because she cut her face it's because you brought something sharp into the host home and you, you, you endangered your old comer and you endangered the other newcomers there because you brought a sharp as they used to call it into the host home right. and this went on ceaselessly ceaselessly throughout the day she was a she was a flavor of the month and i gotta say in at least two of the racks i would say she was confronted for better than an hour and i know it doesn't sound like a lot to people who weren't in there and out 15 minutes is a lifetime yep. when you're being i i've never been confronted for an hour i've confronted people for an hour in intake rooms and the host home or the foster homes but not in group i i i shudder to think and it was humiliating. It was there was no help, and that was humiliation. You selfish fucking cunt! How dare you? This girl's like fourteen fucking years old, skinny as a beanpole, completely devastated from being abandoned by her parents and stuck in there. No one, she couldn't tell anyone the truth, and she didn't know. Again, it goes back to that thing about acting out. She acted out how she felt. She wanted to rub herself out of that. She. She couldn't adequately put into words what she was feeling, so she carved it into her skin like a badge. I'm a complete fuck up now. You know what I mean? Look at me, kind of thing. But the girl, even before she did that, I could tell, anyone could tell, there was something up with her. You know what I mean? She wasn't, she wasn't running on a full eight cylinders. You know, there was something wrong with her. Right. Unmedicated and untreated. And their form of treatment is not appropriate for anything, for anybody, for any reason, more so for someone who has a real serious mental disability like she did. Way, you, you know, for people who don't know about her, way back then, there was no man, hyperactivity disorder. That, that wasn't even a disorder no. back then. No. Nope. had ants in your pants and you needed to be swatted or you needed to be disciplined or, or whatever. I mean... Well, it, just because it didn't have a name back then doesn't mean it wasn't going on. Correct. And that was hyperactive, ADD and straight was like a death sentence, man. I mean, you, you couldn't even help yourself, and you'd get bashed over the head with it constantly. Another thing that they did, which I will never forget, they had a thing about homosexuality. Yep. And it was gruesome the things they would do, the confrontation that would happen in men, in the boys group, you know, the girls group and boys group with separate meetings. Like, it was always about sex when you were with boys and girls group. That was the time we could talk about sex and this and that. Right. This moment, which never really happened, it was being scared out of your mind collectively at one place at one time. <laughs> but they, they, there was one staff member in particular, in particular, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was like, the witch finder general of homosexuals and straight. Um, I could tell that this staff member who was a high ranking staff member just by his actions that 
and the way he talked, he was very effeminate. And to me, he appeared to be gay. Like he, for all intent purposes, he was gay. I've come to find out all these years later, he's he is definitely homosexual. Without a doubt, nothing wrong with that. However, being in the program, that was like, see the altar? I wasn't the only person with an altar. Right. Could you imagine being, you know, a staff member of some standing who had a lot of pull in group, the group was afraid of, and they were gay, and here this staff member is pretending they're, they're, they're not gay, and actually they are, and confronting people about being gay and hunting them down. Right. It was amazing to me. Not amazing, but absolutely frightening. Um, I I could feel as fucked up as I was with the altar in control. There were still moments of sanity and there were moments of clarity. Like my heart would go out to these kids who were fucked up mentally. Mm-hmm. And these kids who were just trying to figure out their sexuality. Right. And be smashed over the head and told them that you. You know, straight was also fairly religious in beliefs and very conservative. And that's an abomination to God. Absolutely, yep. That's exactly what they treated it like. Completely treated you like that in there through your entire stay. This is before gay conversion therapy. This is probably a progenitor of that in some respects. Where Um, it all got started. (laughs) I know, yeah, a lot of these practices I'm talking about never happened before. Right. Oh. Let's. There was a time again. You were an old comer. You were the enforcer, and you got a a, a dude that escaped on you. Uh, Could you tell us what happened? Because that was uh, pretty brutal. Well, um, I had a. I was living in Bethesda, Maryland at the time, with with a foster. Well, now they were host homes at that point. That's the timeline. I know it's confusing, but I need to keep you straight. For this right. Time. So host home. This is the injury we're talking about, right? Yeah. Got indeed. It. So okay. We were a strong house. Every house I went, I never went to a place. I was never in a home where it wasn't a strong home. I didn't ever relax. I could never just be at ease. But anyway, they sent us this kid. I remember when they walked him in the group. I, you know, by virtue of being a straight and by virtue of being upwards on my kids, I think I was on third phase. um, You begin to be able to intuitively read people by very few limited actions. And I can say, you know, pretty much on target. You're able to read someone by their body language, intonation in their voice, how they look, how they respond, the words they use, how intently, what emphasis they put on, what all of that went into forming an opinion about somebody. They walked this kid up the middle of the group. He was uh, maybe an inch shorter than me, but he was, you know, he was, you could tell, he's like one of those kids that would like beat you up at the party. You, you, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And he got sent back with us. And after a week or so or two, it became very apparent to me, this guy's got mental problems, without a doubt. The, like, laughing in his head while he stands outside the host home while it burns in flames and watches you all die kind of crazy. It's nuts. Okay. And very strong. Okay. Very well-built, muscle-defined kind of kid. Not a roid head like we were used to, but you could tell. So this went on for a while, and it, and it was incessant, you know. <laughs> when can I leave? When you want to. You know, um, you know, like just, I, it was the same set of questions. I can't remember, I have it written down somewhere, but it was the same set of questions all the time. And um, one day, like any other day, we got up, got showered, 
he was sitting in a chair. I was sitting, not I, I can't say like a chase lounge. It was kind of like a chase lounge. It was a chair that was not a, not a uh, not a lazy boy type chair, but something along the uh, lines of that, but stable. And I was sitting in the chair, and I was reading a book for school, keeping my eye on him. And he stood up, and I he goes, "Hey, can I comb my hair?" And I'm like, "Okay." And then before I knew it, in that second, I'm like, he doesn't have a comb. What do you mean comb your hair? And he took his jacket, mashed it in my face. All I could smell was old sweat. And he decided, and he just started pounding me and pounding me and pounding me in the face until he basically knocked me out. He held me down, but ultimately I couldn't get back up. I just kept pounding shit. I'm trying to get him off me and flay on my arm. I finally got knocked out. I don't know, maybe like 10 seconds later, I came to consciousness and my eye was swollen shut. I'm looking through my right eye only because this one's, the left one's swollen. Couldn't see a thing. I was disoriented. I'd just been knocked out. And I was looking around the room and it looked like a tornado had gone through it. He went nuts and tried to get out the front door, which was locked with a fucking key. There's no way out. Tried to open some windows. Blinds were thrown off of him and stuff. All of them were nailed shut. And finally, he smashed through a double-pane window. When I got to my senses, I got up out of the chair. By the time I got over to where he was, he was, one leg was out of the window, and the other leg was inside the home. He was balancing there. And in my abject terror of being set back because I let my newcomer escape, I pushed my hand right through the broken glass, trying to grab this kid from falling. And his inertia just pulled him and my hand right through the jagged glass of the window. I had a piece of glass that that right in my left hand, looking at the scar now, still there, a piece of glass that went through right behind my knuckle all the way through my hand and pointed at a piece, a long piece stuck out of my wrist. And there was lots of other little contusions and pieces of glass all stuck in my left hand. And it was bleeding. I mean, bleeding profusely. I couldn't move my hand. Like, my fingers weren't, like, I think my pinky could work. You know what I mean? But everything else, like my hand, it wouldn't move. I was trying to get it, you know. The mom came down, and she was very ill. I, I, I have such a soft spot in my heart for such a lovely lady. She wrapped my hand with a towel. She goes, I'm calling 911. I said, absolutely not. You called the building first. Yep. Call them, right? I told them what happened, and I had to ask, can I go to the hospital? Yes, you can. Go to the hospital. You need to get that looked at. We got to the hospital. We went to Bethesda Naval Hospital. Um, and I get in there, and, and um, the doctor comes in. They are looking at my wound. He says, I'm going to have to do surgery. Mm. Move this glass. And I said, will that include a can? You know, well, am I gonna, are you going to put me under? He goes, yeah, absolutely, I'm putting you under. I said, well, hold on a minute. Let me talk to I had to explain to him I was in a straight place. He's looking at me like I got four heads. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> you, you, you've been paled that fucking seven-inch glass completely through your fucking hand. And you got to call them? All right. He was frustrated. I could tell. He was like, are you kidding me? So I call up straight. I talked to staff, and they said, you are not to take an aspirin. You are not to take 
a local topical. You are not to take anything whatsoever. No anesthesia, nothing. Yeah, just, oh, you just got a cut on your hand. I was trying to tell them it's, and they just cut me off. No, absolutely not no. And I was like, all right, hung up the phone. The doctor says, nurse, you know, get a shot ready. I said, I'm declining treatment. You know, I, I, I can't do this. So the doctor goes, you mean to tell me you're going to do, I'm going to do this procedure and you're going to be wide awake for it. I said, yes. And he goes, then have it your way. He'd be, he had it. Like I my hand needed to be repaired. And if I didn't want to take anesthesia, that's on me. It can be done with it or without it. <clears throat> I remember they started to pull the glass shards out of my hand. Cause there's several spots, but the main one right by my middle finger knuckle was just a bloody fucking mess. Uh, I could see my bones and stuff in there. Uh, it was wide open. And, uh, he withdrew a large portion of the glass and it broke. Oh. And the, the, the pointy part that came out, you know, the really sharp part that protruded un, under my wrist was sticking out and was on an odd angle now. There's nothing oh holding it. And he removed it out. Oh. And they had taken my arm and they had immobilized it. And I couldn't move it at all. And everything was tied down. And, uh, you know, when you get dirt underneath your nails, you know those little brushes you use to get, you know, if you're gardening? Yep. yep. And there's, well, here, I'm going to tell everyone a secret. When you're under, you know, under normal circumstances, you would never feel this, but they took that brush and they had to scrub my fucking hand with it. Ow. And, you know, there's glass and wood and stuff coming out, watching this, and the blood, the fuck, I can see it now on that white coat they wear flecks of blood from them scrubbing my fucking hand and I was howling in pain. I mean I like I couldn't take it. Uh I don't even know how to ex- express how very, very painful that was. They continue with the procedure and they were able to remove the piece of glass that was on an odd angle in my wrist by cutting it out and then pulling it out and more stitches there. They were able to move the glass and stuff. And then finally, I was sitting there going, oh, thank God, they're done. I'm like sitting there, and then the doctor goes, we're not done yet. That's what you're just going to bandage me. I didn't know that I had severed all the tendons in my hand. Oh, my God. And um, I remember watching the doctor sewed my hand back up. My fingers moving like they were playing a phantom piano. And um, it was incredibly painful. Um, I I blamed myself. Like I really put myself to task internally. You let that kid escape. He could be out there fucking doing drugs. He could die. And you let him. You're a piece of shit. They should fucking, they should fuck you up for what you did in group. Not thinking about Okay, they sent a big crazy kid home with me with no diagnosis, no medication, and left him with me, and he assaulted me. Wow, what a setup. You you think if they ever thought it through that maybe that scenario probably never crossed their minds? It didn't. They didn't give a fuck. Right. Fuck it all. He was just another paycheck to them, another product. So, I mean, that has some wide-ranging things after that assault, right? So, 
instead of me being in group, I, I looked like I'd been beaten up by 20 bikers. My arm was all casted up. I, I couldn't fuck. My face is swollen. I, you know. So they kept me in an intake room. And I was there for a long time. And the reason being is, A, they didn't want me to be in front of anyone in group because they didn't want that incident to inspire duplicate or stuff. Copycat. Copycat right. infringement. I, think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, but it makes sense. And more importantly, did not want me sitting in that room during open meeting. For fuck's sake, the last thing to do is a cast, have this kid with this fucking bizarre cast on his hand with his fucking face disfigured, standing up going, I lose you, mom. I you, dad. I couldn't even fucking talk right. So they left me in a fucking intake room. And it lasted for weeks. And sometimes they'd forget I was in there. I wouldn't get fed. I wouldn't be let out to go to the bathroom. They'd, I'd be locked in. There was no one guarding the door. So they just locked from the outside. Sometimes someone would go by and just shut the light out. And I'd be oh, in complete darkness <laughs> in a room, sitting there by myself in pain, sweating my fucking ass off with no air conditioning in there. Jesus Christ. Like, on, weeks. And um, it became a game, I think, with some people. They would just come by and flip the light off. Ha ha, he's in there. Fuck him. Such a passive-aggressive thing. Uh-huh. But man, it did fuck me up, though, I gotta say. Did they make so, you sign something that you would never sue or something like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really focused. I'm really in that moment. But That's okay. You're fine. All these weeks go by, maybe a month or month or so, maybe six weeks go by, and I'm, I'm allowed back in group. My swelling had gone down. I didn't look like I'd, I got fucking hit in the face with a frying pan anymore. Um... They switched me to a different type of cast. It was no longer a hard cast. It was wrapped with like an ace bandage yeah. kind of thing. Uh, whatever. And one day I get called out of group and my mom's there. And I'm called out of group into the office. I'd never walked through the sack for my entire life. You know, I, I was, holy shit, look at this. And for like a second, they brought me into another set of offices where there was this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, um, and he was an adult. He was a hired staff executive yeah he yes he was an executive um he was basically their pr guy okay really and lo and behold here's a maryland state trooper with this kid and his two parents my mother was there and they wanted me they had this piece of paper that a said a couple of things b i mean a it, it, it said straight is not responsible in one form or another b you are not going to press charges against this kid and c you will never take up charges against straight i didn't want to sign it i want that little motherfucker to go to jail i'm like dude you fucked me up fuck you go to jail right. see you and your this off i want retribution i couldn't grab him because he's in group i couldn't get a hold of him god help him if they brought him back into that group because what i would have fucking done to that asshole Sorry, I'm talking that way. No, that's the way it would was. Would have been savage, Middle, medieval. I, I would have hurt him so bad. But this executive, I was like, no, I'm not signing that. The officer's like, okay. He didn't give a shit. All right, come with me. And then the executive's like, no, 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 wait a minute. And he pulls me to the side. And he goes, you sign that fucking paper or else you know what I'm going to do to you. He would have started you over. <laughs> Immediately. 
Yep. And, you know, by that time, my mother was, my mother swallowed the straight bullshit hook and sinker. She was just as brainwashed as I was or blanked out as I was. And she's encouraging me to sign the paper, too. And I was like, finally, I was like, I ain't getting on. I'm, I'm not, I already got my shit fucked up. My hand doesn't, still don't work right. It's 38 fucking years later. I'm not being set on front row again. I just signed a paper. I was coerced. I was forced to sign that paper against my will. As a fucking adult. Just like you were forced to be there every minute as an adult. Absolutely. It was even up until that point. That court case had not transpired. That court case that changed that didn't happen until I had escaped. Which was the end of 83, I think. Yeah, so there's still, I was still trapped. There was no escape. Speaking of escape, eventually, you had enough. You finally got to the point that you wanted to walk away. Yeah. What happened? Well, there's, I worked my way through the phases, like, and, and my plan from the beginning is once you get to third phase, you go to school, that's when you book. Right. So Get out of there. And I went through third phase and went to high school. It was bizarre going to high school, man. I was eight. I was an adult. I was 18 years old. I was in all the remedial classes. Yeah. So I was in there with like kids who were like 14. I, I felt like the, the tall clown getting out of the tiny car at the circus every day going to school. But anyway, make it once, well, to explain what happened was, I made it through first phase, second phase, got the third, completed third phase. I, I I really began to buy into this shit. And that altered taking control. And what my sincere desire is of trying to get the fuck out of there turned into, I'm going to make it through this program. I'm going to seven step. I'm going to, you know, do this and all this stuff that's really cool and straight. And all these straight kids are going to love me and it's going to be great. And you know, all that's bullshit now. And I think back on it. Right. Um, finally got the fourth phase. And I actually, my first permissions, or some of the first permissions I ever put in, uh, permissions are, you write out your permission, what you're going to do, what time you're going to go, what you're doing while you're out there. If you're going to bring someone with you, you can be with your mom, What you know, you're buying clothes, school supplies, whatever. And it would get approved. And I got, I finally got the fun kind of permissions approved. Like, I just, everyone talked about the Air and Space Museum. And I wanted to go there so fucking bad. Right. So it's like, you know, it was like a Wednesday or something and I'd come back and in from school and sit down in group and the next rap starts and they pulled all of the permissions. The group's in a bad place. I don't know, people in straight who were in straight would recognize what that means. The group's in a bad place. They would do it periodically, I think, just to throw people off because the group was unmotivated or they, they knew some screw was going on and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. So they pull everyone back in the group. No one's going to school or work. Everyone's in. Um, they hadn't pulled school yet or work yet, but all permissions were done. And I got furious. I'm like, I've been in here for fucking this long. As soon as I want to go do something fun, or like the group's in a bad place. You're in a bad place. I'm in a bad place. We're all in a bad place. Like my thoughts started going nuts. And then that little voice that I had encapsulated my true self I began to hear that little whisper of like, you know you can walk away at any time, right? 
you know you can do this, right? Yeah. You know, that voice is like, you're going to use drugs and salt beef and you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, it, it, it's a, the things that I've been forced to believe really was became this battle of wills. Mm-hmm. I was fighting my own will with my own will of another kind of characteristic of my own shattered persona. Mm-hmm. And um, I got really depressed about it. I was sad because I couldn't go out. I was frustrated because I worked really hard to get to this point. I really wanted to spend time with my mom, anything, except be in that fucking building and do something fun where I could actually feel happy in a way. Be a normal human being. Well, yeah. As normal as you can get. Well, right. That are some shit, you know, crooked bangs and fucking whatever, look like a complete dork. Going to Springfield Mall, you know, all the cool kids, all the regular kids, I got long hair that was in fashion, you know, tight jeans, big hair for the girls. Yeah. And here I am looking like some goober, you know. (laughs) So I was very depressed. I went to school. You know, I sat in group for a couple days after that. You know, I went to school, went back, went to school. I'm like, you know what, man? Fuck this. Fuck this and fuck them. I'm out of here. I don't give a shit. So I, I had a guitar because I was taking music class. I made friends with with a teacher in there, and I said, would you mind holding on to my guitar? She said, sure, no problem. And could I buy or borrow $5? I'll give it back to you tomorrow. I said, not a problem. Later on that day, I went to the shop class, and I stole a, I stole a carpet knife, a utility knife, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, put a new blade in it and stole it from the shop. I walked out the doors of Bethesda Chevy Chase High School in Maryland and walked to Washington, D.C. Mind you, I'd only driven to Washington, D.C. I had no idea where I was going. I just knew the main streets like Michigan, Michigan, main streets, they're like spokes in a wheel. And if I followed this street, it was the same name that I saw on the Beltway all the times I'd driven through Washington, D.C. on my way to straight Springfield. And I walked down the street and I walked all the way from Bethesda, Maryland to uh, Washington, D.C. Along the way, I stopped at a pharmacy, bought a pair of, stole a pair of mirrored sunglasses, bought a pack of Marlboro cigarettes and and a pack of matches. And I'm going down the street, you know, I'm like smoking cigarettes and I'm finally made it into D.C. I'm out of the residential park. There's big buildings and offices and, you know, it's like five, like, have you ever been to D.C.? Like, 500 people cross the street when the light changes. Yeah. So I walk along and I'm walking along and smoking a cigarette. And lo and behold, bam, right in front of me is someone's dad who knows me <laughs> from straight. And he's like, Rich, what are you doing here? I was like, deer in a headlight. I didn't even really respond barely. He goes, look at you. You cocked out. You're putting off a druggy image with those sunglasses. And you've already picked up ink. I'm taking you back to street right now. You and me, we're going. And I just took off like the fucking roadrunner, man, running blindly through DC. I had no clue what I was doing and where I was going, but I knew I had to get away from him. That scared the living shit out of me because when you escaped from straight, it wasn't like, oh, well, he's gone. Let's put someone else in here. 
they would load up vans and station wagons with phasers and dads, and they'd look for your ass. They'd hunt you down. And that's exactly what they did. I remember walking, and this car went by once. Anyway, page and went by again. It was coming up, and it slowed down. I looked, and I saw people I recognized in the car. My heart fucking stopped in my chest. I must have went pale white. I was so goddamn afraid. And, you know, I saw them. They saw me. I saw the doors of the car, you know, slowing down. The doors were popping open. I ran the opposite direction as fast as I could, throwing garbage cans down on the street, trying to be like, like fucking James Bronson or some shit. You know, <laughs> anything. Like stupid shit I saw in the movies. And I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran. I couldn't hear them calling my name anymore. And finally... You ever been to DC or any major city? Everyone's got like a basement kind uh-huh. of thing, and you can act street. I ran down little, you know, four or five stairs, was hiding down there, looking, barely putting my air, my eyes above street level to see what was going on. I was sat in there. For, it seemed must have been an hour, but it seemed like all night. You know, it was dusk at this time, and. Uh, I got out of there and I started running. Not running, I started walking fast. I didn't know where I was going. I was frightened. Yeah, I hear all these horror stories from everyone in Virginia about how fucked up D.C. is. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. Before I knew it, I was on the mall where all the, the, the Smithsonian is and the Air and Space Museum. So it was around dusk or getting towards dusk. And I took myself my own permission, walked around the Air and Space Museum going, what the fuck am I going to do now? Uh, <clears throat> so finally I knew either I was going to hitchhike I was 250 I was 250 miles away from my home my mother's home in New Jersey I was several hundred miles away away from my father no one I knew owned a car I just turned 18 you know I, I couldn't call anybody um, I called my dad and um, he'd already been contacted by his trade uh-huh and um, you got to go back. You let me know where you are. I'll come and get you. You won't be in trouble. I'm like, Dad, you know, yes, I will be in trouble. They told me nothing's going to happen to you. It happens to everybody, and they say, you'll be fine. And I knew the truth. Right. But back in that building, my life was over. I'm going back to day one again. Uh, well, I won't be able to get out of here until I'm 23 fucking years old or something, you know. Right. Always go to And I told them the truth, what's been really going on in there. And I found out why he disappeared. He disappeared because Sally had a son from a pre my my, my mom Sally had a son from a previous marriage, my brother, um, Paul. And Paul had long hair like everyone else in the early eighties, like, you know, Judas Priest, rah rah rah. Right. Um, and he had clothes. I mean, he was one of those guys who dressed nicely. So straight he got interviewed because part of the thing that straight does is, you know, not only do they want the real fuck-up kid in there, but they want to take the other kids that are in your family as a prophylactic experience to protect them from, from, from potentially using drugs, having no evidence of uh, that they have. There's no problems. They're straight-A students. But yet, just because their little brother fucked up and got in trouble, now they're stuck in straight, too. So they tried to pull that shit on my mother, Sally. And my mother, Sally, was a resident of Florida, knew all about Straight Incorporated. That's why I was kept in the hotel room for a week. All that became clear when I started speaking to my father. They had thrown them out of the program. Uh, Either you 
on in here because we think he's a drug dealer. Look at that long hair and that, that clothes. He's selling coke. Selling coke. He was a clothes horse. He was a good looking kid and he had long hair, whatever. Everyone did. Right. And she was like, no way, I'm not doing it. I don't give a shit. I'm not putting locks on the door of my house. I'm not screwing windows shut. No, I'm not treating children like this. I refuse to do it. That's why they got thrown out, and that's why my mother came into play. So once I talked to my father quite a while on a public phone, it was got late, it was getting cold. I'm like, Dad, I, you know, I'll call you back in the morning. And he goes, well, where are you going to go? I said, I'm going to find some place, a park bench, something. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. He goes, you stay right by that phone. And 10, 15 minutes later, he calls me back, and he goes, what's your location? Da, da, da. I give him the information. Stay by the phone. Get a phone call five minutes later. He booked me a hotel room. And we're talking a sleazy-ass, D.C., <laughs> nasty fucking hotel room. Like, I was afraid to sleep on the bed. Like, well, I don't know what kind of bodily fluids. But it, it was It was a hotel that people turn tricks in. Okay, Ew. let's just be. Yep. Uh, that's, hey, man, whatever. Right. But I had a hotel room, and, and and he told the guy at the desk to charge an extra $10 to give it to me so I can get something to eat. I went to Arby's for the first time in my life, and the last time was awful. <laughs> and I, I ate French fries. I ate fast food, which I hadn't done in such a long time. It was like a treat, even though it was awful. It was like, ooh, right. I'm not, carrot sticks or some other fucking nonsense of straight games. <laughs> and I spent the night in that place. And I got a phone calls from a staff member um, who I was really tight with. Like he was my old comer and then he and then became junior staff. So he no longer could have me. Right. And he called me, tried to talk me into it. I'm like, no, so and so. I I I'm very sure I don't want to be there anymore. Come back. You don't know it'll be fine. Like you know it won't be fine. And right. the phone went son. He knew. Mm-hmm. He was just probably had a senior staff member standing right next to him. Yep. He says, you should really come. You know, I'm like, no. He said, the car is right down there. Look out the window. And here's the same car that I ran away from an hour before. Packed to the gills. I recognize the phasers sitting in the car. And I know the dads that were driving, okay? Right. And fucking hung up the phone. And I flipped out. I got so goddamn scared. I, I, I pushed every bit of furniture against the door that I could get my hands on. There was a table in there. I disassembled the table, had the table leg in one hand and that carpet cutter in the other. Mm-hmm. And they started pounding on the door. Rich Ross, you motherfucker, let us, let us in here. No, 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 no. We're gonna take you on all this stuff. And I'm like, no, fuck you. And they couldn't get through the door. And I knew if they got through the door, the reason why I had that table leg and that knife, I said, you know what? Someone's going to the fucking hospital this time and it ain't gonna be me. I, I will. You know, I had gotten to that point where I, I was ready to aggravate, you know, they call it aggravated assault. I was I was going to stab somebody. That's how fucking desperate I became. Right. Anything. Jail. Cabbing record. I didn't give a shit. Anything was better than going back to that place. And this went on for quite a while, and they finally left me alone. But there was this other guy who showed up. I kept Paul something. I, Paul is his first name. He's a guy I used to see in open meetings a lot. He wore the same suit, like a tweedish kind of sport jacket and a very skinny tie. He was a tall guy, much taller than I was. He's probably six foot three. Uh-huh. Didn't look like a big, strong guy or anything, but he, I always got a bad vibe off him. Like, who is this guy? And he showed up and trying to talk to me. 
And there's a whole other story connected him that I don't think it's necessary to get into right now. Right. Um, I, stuff I found out later about this guy. It's, it's very, very creepy. Like, creepy. But anyway, um, he went away. And then um, my mother agreed to take me back home. And she went down to D.C. and picked me up and brought me home. So that's how my escape went as far as leaving there. Mm-hmm. What the what I had to go through in order to get out of there. Even though you were an adult and should have been able to walk out at any time you felt like it. It took something yeah. that extreme to get away. Well, yes, indeed. And, and, the, and the other thing, like, maybe people who are not straight don't realize is, like, straight would get in really good with the local police and the authorities, especially there in Virginia. They were at this font of our government. They were at, right there. The, you had fountain of power in the United States comes from D.C. And um, the cops would return your adult, non-adult. They didn't give a shit. Oh, you're out of straight, you're going back. Right. They would get it. Yeah, this is our mission. This look, look what we're doing to improve the community. You police, one less punk you got to deal with, and they would gleefully take you back. Because they were saving I, you. <laughs> yeah, saving me. Yeah. Okay. Let's take one more break, okay? Sure. 